coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 32 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. I'm Austin Statton, joined alongside Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. The song that you hear right now is entitled Self-Medicate by the Austin-based band The Vanity. We'll have more from them later on in the show as we sit down with their lead singer Alex Dugan to speak about their upcoming show at the Raven Tower on March 5th here in Houston. We're really excited about this week's show as we discuss Super Tuesday with Texas rep Matt Shaheen and Lane Lewis, who is the Harris County Chairman for the Democratic Party. Also stopping by the show as a guest this week is Dolores Lozano from ESPN Deportes. Needless to say, we have a fun episode on tap, and guys, I'm a bit worn out from Rodeo Cook-Off, but overall, how was the week for you two? I uh, I got sucked into The Flash. I don't know uh, if you guys have seen that or seen any of it. It's not what I would call a good show, but I've literally spent every waking moment I wasn't working watching this television show. I think I've gotten to like 16 or 17 episodes of it. There's a lot of it. So um, I kind of feel like my whole week has been sucked into some sort of comic book vortex. I don't know. What have you guys been up to? Gosh, actually, my week has been scarily similar. I've been sucked into all five seasons of Game of Thrones. I've been watching nothing but Game of Thrones and the uh, primary here uh, this past week. So um, actually, it's kind of funny how similar those two things are. But um, anyways, it's it's been a great week overall. I guess I'll join the Netflix parade. I've been watching Occupied, which is a great show uh, on Netflix. They've got one season. It's actually based out of Norway, so you're going to have to deal with subtitles. But uh, it's based on the near future of, you know, kind of oil and the energy industry uh, in Norway wanting to move toward a more uh, environmentally friendly and Russia not really happy about that and kind of invading the country. So it's very fascinating. There's one season out on Netflix right now, but uh, that's kind of what I'm working with. But other than that, glad to have you guys on this week. Uh, Definitely looking forward to the discussions that we're about to have. Uh, We've got a great lineup of guests. I will say that uh, kind of having listened back to some of our audio, uh, we are surprisingly reasonable, centrist. Uh, I think we're moderate. We're intelligent. We're covering these issues uh, in the way that they ought to be. And and honestly, just having heard some of that audio and knowing what's coming up, I got to say, I think we might be heroes. I think we might be the heroes of uh, Super Tuesday, this, this primary season. I think it's apropos that you mentioned heroes and we just talk about Netflix. So, uh, you know, I think you're definitely on that hero mindset, Kevin. Uh, but yeah, I thought we had great conversations. Uh, we, we brought on both a Republican and a Democrat. I think, uh, you know, unlike Fox News, we are actually fair and balanced here on this podcast. You're going to hear both sides, not just a uh, slant one way or another. So that's something that I'm proud of. And uh, also, you know, if, if you like the commentary that you hear later in the show, go ahead and find us. Give us, you know, some feedback on iTunes. Uh, we definitely love for our fans to go there, give us a five-star review, tell us what they like, or you know, different segment ideas that they would like to hear. Uh, we're open ears. We definitely want to hear your feedback and commentary. Also, you can find us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at weeklybrewcast.com. And last but not least, we desserts. Always good food. Kevin, tell us about them. Well, I haven't mentioned in a while that We Desserts is, of course, from the French. Uh, I believe it means yes, O-U-I, desserts. Look them up on any social media platform uh, or in real life. 3411 Kirby's where you'll find them. There's a lot of exciting stuff going over there, and it's exciting to me personally because I'm a big fan of desserts and dessert items. I eat them all the time, and uh, and I'm large as a result, but it's totally worth it. I encourage you to do the same. Uh, They've now expanded beignet days to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's four days a week you can get beignets, and when you're not having beignets, they have a 
brownie a la mode, which is warm chocolate brownie with vanilla bean ice cream and fudge sauce. And everything in that place is made entirely from scratch by Penny and Jen, the delightful proprietors over there. And it's honestly, I mean, it's the best uh, dessert confectionery type item I've ever had. Every time I go in, I frequently get snickerdoodles as well. People know I'm fond of those. So uh, 3411 Kirby, we desserts, check them out. And if you have a special order, birthday cake or some reason, something you'd like to bring to the office, uh, really anything you get from there will be well worth your while. And as listeners mentioned that you are podcast fans, uh, specifically this podcast, and you get a 10% discount. So it's uh, only 90% of what you ought to be paying for. It's terrific. Again, that's We Desserts, 3411 Kirby here in Houston. Make sure to tell Penny and Jen that the guys at the Weekly Rue sent you by. But uh, Jeremy, Kevin, we've got a pack show on deck, one that I'm really looking forward to. So as always, it's time to sit back, grab a drink, relax, and be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. There's a lot of excitement on the political landscape these past few weeks, specifically here in Houston. Uh, we had the five Republican presidential candidates come and have a debate sponsored by CNN and Telemundo at the University of Houston. Uh, great turnout there. I know tickets were in high demand. Uh, but specifically, the, the day before, myself and Jeremy actually attended uh, kind of a meet and greet with some, um, you know, political insiders, if you will, at a uh, restaurant here in Houston. So that was great to uh, you know mix and mingle with uh, those fine folks, most of which were from Washington, D.C. and inside the Beltway. But specifically, as we move toward Super Tuesday this week, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And I think the biggest bombshell for me personally happened Friday morning when just out of nowhere, it seemed Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey endorsed Donald Trump and essentially gave his campaign the legitimacy that it needed. I guess you know his first major endorsement. I, I don't. I don't think we want to count Sarah Palin as a major endorsement, but to have a politician like Chris Christie get on board for Donald Trump for me as a Republican downright frightening. What I was going to say is what kind of legitimacy does Chris Christie really bring to anyone's uh, candidacy? I, I, I sort of thought of him as being kind of a, a, a loud Republican bullhorn, sort of in the same vein as Trump, actually. I mean, obviously, he's a legitimate politician, but uh, that same kind of perception or image, you know, you follow the GOP a lot more closely than I do because you're, you know, uh, you have some sympathies there. How much legitimacy does this really actually lend to Trump's candidacy? I mean, one of the things that Trump has struggled with is he hasn't had many endorsements from congressmen. And this past week, he had a few endorsements from, you know, I don't want to say small-time congressman because I think every congressman is, uh, you know, big in their own right. But, uh, you know, Trump had very little in, in, in terms of endorsements. And having a guy like Chris Christie who just three to four years ago was considered by most to be the Republican frontrunner for 2016, obviously with the, uh, you know, the Bridgegate scandal that happened with him a few years ago in New Jersey, uh, his, you know, name was tarnished a bit and he didn't have the presidential campaign that, you know, he had wanted. But for him to come out of the blue and endorse Donald Trump, to me, it was absolutely frightening. And I think it does give credibility maybe a bit to Donald Trump and the campaign that he's running. And it scares the Republican Party. I mean, you've noticed the past few days that uh, they are essentially running that hashtag, Stop Trump. And uh, Jeremy, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what do you think Governor Christie's endorsement means for Donald Trump? I would say it's not a big endorsement, but it is one that carries a little bit of weight, at least with some voters. Um, I think Christie is probably gunning for an attorney generalship or possibly even the VP spot. Um, I it's I don't see this really giving Trump a huge boost because Christie's fallen out of favor with the base for a long time now. I mean, just apart from Bridgegate, he's made a lot of decisions in New Jersey as the governor that have turned off a lot of base conservatives to him um, as a candidate, which really, you know, it's no wonder because he, he was never higher than, you know, four or five percent in the polls. Um, 
going forward, I'm looking at some of these other endorsements that Trump is picking up. Uh, Governor Jan Brewer of Arizona and also uh, Senator Jeff Sessions. Uh, those are two pretty, I- I'd say, high-grade endorsements from, you know, quote-unquote conservatives. And it's just going to lend more credibility to the Trump campaign. Uh, who is the Trump fan or the Trump uh, political support base more fired up by? Those endorsements or the endorsement from David Duke? That's a very interesting point. And I know that a lot of Republicans, uh, you know, were essentially... A lot of Republicans were very disappointed that, uh, you know, Trump just disavowed, but it's still an endorsement. And you have a white supremacist endorsing Donald Trump. And interestingly enough, Sunday morning, Bernie Sanders sent out a tweet criticizing Donald Trump, you know, as essentially being a racist. And you saw some unity from the Democratic Party as, you know, just a few minutes later, Senator or former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton retweeted uh, Bernie Sanders' comment. So... It seems like both political parties, both the Republicans and the Democrats, have realized that the Trump train is, you know, going full steam ahead right now. And I think there is some fear that by this time next year, we could have a President Trump. And, and to me, that's frightening. But at the same time, it, it, it's nice to see, uh, you know, both Republicans and Democrats, I guess, reach across the aisle and actually say, OK, we got to stop this guy. You know, I thought it was most interesting with that endorsement from Duke. Um, he, he said this is not an official endorsement, but in sort of the subtext and in some of the later comments, he said, listen, I don't agree with everything Trump says, um, but listen, if you're a fan of mine, if you go into Trump's headquarters and you go into places where you can volunteer to support him, you will find like-minded people, people that think like you is sort of what he was saying to his audience, his white supremacist, you know, KKK supporting audience. And I, I think that there is a lot of truth to that. You know, I saw um, a piece online recently kind of breaking down a guy that was kicked out of a Trump rally and some of the things he was hearing from the people behind and in front of him at that rally. And it's really frightening, uh, the amount of fear and hate mongering and um, and rhetoric that goes on at those places among those people. I think I think Duke's right. I mean, I think he hit it right on the nose. People that support him and his message of white supremacy will find a lot of like-minded people within Trump's support. Sunday afternoon, there was a, a parody account that was tweeted by, or that was created by Gawker. And uh, they sent out a tweet essentially trying to troll Donald Trump. And it said, it is better to live one day as a lion than 100 years as a sheep. Of course, that that was from the that of course that quote is widely attributed to Italian fascist leader Benito Mussolini and uh, you know Trump didn't back away from it uh, you know he could have said you know it was just a mistake he could have blamed it on like an intern or something like that but uh, he he essentially said that you know the tweet got the attention and uh, that he wanted to be associated with great words not necessarily the person so I I, I don't know it to me it just frightens me that there's even a possibility that that man could be president of my country you know it's it is funny I, I, I <laughs> Mussolini and Trump have a lot in common believe it or not uh, they're both authoritarian uh, of course I think Trump's politics are a little bit more right-wing than Mussolini's are but um yeah, I've often called him Mussolini Trump because of this. Uh, on the David Duke thing, I will I, every election, uh, whether it's the candidacy of Obama or uh, other Democrats, there have all everyone gets fringe nominations, and so um, yeah, I, I do think Trump stumbled on this a little bit, but I don't know if it means much going forward. I I think that the media is rightfully picking up on this and running with it, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to it. Um, of course, everyone remembers Louis Farrakhan endorsing Obama a few years ago, which Obama, you know, uh, graciously declined his endorsement. But um, that stuff still does happen every election cycle. One thing to note is we are very excited about the guests that we're about to have join us. We were able to sit down with Representative Matt Shaheen and Lane Lewis, who is the Democratic chair 
chairman for Harris County. Uh, you'll hear those interviews here in just a few minutes, but we wanted to know what our fans thought. So we asked people on Reddit and Facebook, we asked the simple question, which candidate's message, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, resonates with you the most and why? And uh, we said that we would read some of the best answers on the podcast, but uh, we'll go ahead and start off with a guy named Chase Kovach who left this comment on Facebook. He said that I'm a Christian, industrial engineer, and a lifelong Republican. On Monday, March 1st, I will be voting for Senator Bernie Sanders for three main reasons, integrity, economy, and liberty. He said that Sanders has a long track record of honesty and consistency. He doesn't take corporate money and works tirelessly for the middle class. America needs a new deal where others are playing politics. Bernie is fighting for us, and for that, he has my respect, my admiration, and my vote. So thanks, Chase, for your feedback there. Uh, You know, just going down on Reddit, um, I'll let you guys read a few of these uh, here in just a second. But uh, one guy named Concho Bear, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, he said, quote, It's a complete fest, if you ask me. No one's message resonates with me. This is going to be a bad year. So, I mean, what's most interesting to me, not a specific quote necessarily, but um, from a lot of guys in Harry Chested One Peas Frog from Reddit. Thank you for all the Redditors who responded to this, by the way. That was a great job by Reddit turning out. There's an interesting commonality I've noticed between supporters of Sanders and supporters of Trump, and everyone seems to be uh, really invested and interested in campaign finance reform. That seems to be a weird common strand between those two candidates and their supporters, or people who really care about the money that's going into politics, where it comes from, who it ultimately supports, and how much it's polluting the political process. And I just, I found it weird reading through these uh, dozens of responses. Thanks again, by the way, guys. Um, Just the fact that people who would seem to be on very polar opposite sides of a lot of issues uh, really both care about that. And of course, Trump is campaigning on a message of this is all my money, you know, whatever. I'm not being supported by um, Wall Street and and big interests like a lot of these other candidates. And Sanders, obviously, uh, famously, what is it, like $27 per person is his, uh, on average, is his uh, mantra or whatever. So those those two commonalities really uh, stuck out to me reading through these responses. And uh, thanks again to everyone who, who, uh, who gave us a response yeah one of the ones that i like is again from peace frog he said um he said i don't think any of the republican candidates can answer what makes me worthy of this office and this trust defeating hillary clinton is not what's best for the american people not a one makes me proud to be a veteran or an american so i think that was a um, very interesting comments and uh, jeremy i know you looked at the reddit thread as well what were some things that stuck out for you Looking at the Reddit thread, I mean, it's it, you certainly do see a lot of enthusiasm for Trump and Sanders. Um, their supporters have a lot in common, though, uh, just not just in terms of enthusiasm, but I think a lot of policy positions. Trump and Sanders both have a very protectionist stance on trade, um, among some other things. And it seems like um, some of their supporters almost, even though Sanders has a real strong support on college campuses, it seems like both of their groups of supporters are sort of they're both angry at the establishment. And I, I find more and more as I run into Sanders and Trump supporters is just how little they know and just how angry they are. Um, they tend to share um, a lot of the same sentiments about the country, but just coming at it from two different directions. Um, it seems like a, a lot of these um, a lot of these comments, uh, you know, people are just they're disillusioned. They're just disillusioned with uh, you know, the way politics is right now, the, the lack of uh, people wor- being willing to work with each other in Washington. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of why we're in the situation that we're in with both with Trump and Sanders in the nomination process. Got to read a few more here from Reddit. Yankees fan 13 says that it seems like everyone else is treating politics like a game and trying to beat the other team. But Kasich seems like he wants to do good. I guess you could say the same about Sanders, but his ideas are just way too far left for me. And then kind of one of the last ones is from Bay B 66 
this person said ethically, Sanders, comically, Trump. Uh, so again, we seem to have a common theme. Reddit users specifically seem to side with uh, Bernie Sanders, and I think that speaks to a lot of what his campaign is doing, uh, you know, with the youth vote and try to mobilizing people to get out and vote for him. Uh, and then we see that uh, a lot of the Republicans are kind of, you know, don't feel that they have a, a candidate that they can connect with. And uh, they are essentially jumping on that bandwagon of doing anything they can to stop uh, Donald Trump. So I, I think that was uh, very interesting. And again, we thanks to everybody who left comments on Reddit and Facebook. And uh, it's definitely fascinating to see what the general populace thinks of the, uh, you know, the presidential candidates. And uh, we're definitely happy to, uh, you know, discuss this uh, as we move forward through the election season. Uh, but before we go on too long, we promise you some great interviews. We have Representative Matt Shaheen and Democratic Party Chairman for Harris County, Lane Lewis, joining us on the podcast. Again, we recorded both of these interviews on Friday. We hope you like it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. While last week's show focused primarily on the NBA and the entertainment industry, we're diving back into the political landscape on episode 32 of the podcast. With Super Tuesday coming up this week and hundreds of delegates up for grabs, we're happy to welcome Texas Rep Matt Shaheen onto the show to discuss the implications of Decision 2016 moving forward. Representative Shaheen, thanks for joining us this week. You bet. Thanks for having me. So you represent West Plano and far north Dallas in the Texas House. What is the vibe in your district, both on the Republican and Democratic side, as Texas prepares to vote in the primary season? Well, there's a lot of activity, a lot of excitement for those that are uh, follow politics, um, you know, in a pretty steady, uh, heavy fashion. You know, on the I would say the difference between Republicans and Democrats are are pretty significant. I think on the Republican side, uh, you see a lot of frustration. Um, you know, grassroots Republicans, I think for the past couple of decades, really have been hearing promises from Washington and smaller government and really hasn't been delivered. Uh, they've heard promises about addressing our debt. Our nation's debt now is over uh, $19 trillion. There's a lot of frustration over the recent um, budget bill that was passed, uh, essentially gave the president everything he wanted. And a lot of those items are viewed as uh, failures of policy or actually even harming Americans. Uh, Planned Parenthood was funded even after those atrocious videos were released. So there's just a lot of frustration, and, and that's manifesting itself in who you see leading in the presidential primary. You see mostly outsiders and and Trump, Cruz, and Rubio, and your more established candidates aren't faring well at all. I think on the Democrat side, uh, the, the Democrats are trying to recover from their election of 2014, where you had Senator Wendy Davis who ran for governor. Uh, there was a lot of excitement. She was a rising, rising star. You had a lot of outside influences coming in, investing uh, money from the Democrat side in Battleground, Texas, and both of those failed substantially. So there's some frustration on the Democratic side as well uh, for different reasons, but they're redoubling their efforts. If you look in Collin County, for example, each of the state representatives has a Democratic challenger um, this year. While Tuesday marks a big day in the primary season, we've already seen a huge impact uh, from the New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada primaries. Um, what are your impressions so far? Do you think uh, that the that this primary is over and that we already have a nominee? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Like you're exactly right. We, we, right, we've had we've had Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina. I think turned a little differently than people were expecting. We just um, had Nevada, and of course, Super Tuesdays next week. Uh, you know, Cruz is expected did well in Iowa. There's a big evangelical base there. 
So there was a lot of momentum for crews getting uh, coming out of there. And then, of course, you have New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, where Trump really ran away with those primaries. So a lot of people were looking at who came in second and who came in third, right? And so South Carolina was one where Cruz actually tied or was, you know, fractionally behind uh, Rubio, where they were looking for Ted to really do well in South Carolina, given a significant evangelical base. Not really surprised in New Hampshire. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, case that came in second there. New Hampshire tends to be a little bit more moderate and very opposite of Iowa, if you will. So, hasn't been a ton of surprises um, as far as you know. Is it over with? It's it's not even close. Uh, there are over 2,400 delegates out there. There's only been 87 that have been claimed so far um, by Trump. And then uh, you've got Cruz and, and Rubio uh, with, you know, distant numbers there. But th we're, we're far from over. Even after next Tuesday, Super Tuesday, um, you know, next Tuesday will be roughly close to 600 delegates. So there's going to be a lot of delegates out there. This thing doesn't end till early June. So we're not close to having a nominee yet. So one thing I've sort of been impressed by as I've been watching is just the, the amount of divisive rhetoric. It seems like as a country, maybe we're further apart uh, between Republicans, Democrats than we ever have been before. Is that just the perception that I have watching this or is that really an issue, this growing divisiveness that's occurring? No, what you're seeing is accurate, right? The parties are are very much um, veering off and things are more divisive. I think, um, you know, with the advent of social media and just this, the dynamics of the internet and, and, and those types of things are, I think there's a little coarsening um, of the culture, if you will. So there's that dynamic. And then there's the, the parties really are diverging. So you have the Democratic Party that now has an avowed socialist in Bernie Sanders, and he's going to different college campuses, promising all these free things for these students, which sounds attractive until you start thinking about the debt that's already that has been accumulated and what all the free items would, would end up costing because they're at the end of the day, they're never free. So that burden of debt um, will just grow substantially. And then on the Republican side, right, the Republican side are, are looking at the, the, the failures of these liberal policies that have been implemented over the past seven years, looking at, at all the harm, you know, from Obamacare, you've got the, you know, veterans administration that has a suicide hotline that literally, you know, places people on hold or sends them to, the voicemail. You have the EPA, one of the biggest um, violators of, the, of pollution, if you will, in the state of Colorado. So there's the, the, the two parties, they are veering off further and further in their separate ways. So it is creating more divisiveness in the nation. And how do you solve a problem like that and find some sort of common ground? Because we've seen so many examples in recent memory of just being completely gridlocked with two opposing parties controlling, you know, either the Senate or the presidency or what have you. What's the what's the solution? Well, I think you have to define what the solution is, first of all. So people sometimes dividing that as coming together in the middle and, you know, coming to agreement on items. The, the issue with that is that's essentially, for the most part, what we've been doing for the past several decades and so what's come out of that is you've got this massive debt that I've been talking about. You've got this growing budget that's infringing more and more on our uh, on our freedoms, religious freedoms, freedoms of speech and so forth that people are now viewing as, as being risks, at risk, especially with the dynamics of, of the Supreme Court recently and the, and the, the death of Antonin Scalia. So um, I think what we first need to do is, is define what success is. And part of it's going to be 
addressing the harm that the federal government is now doing to the citizens that it's supposed to, to supposed to be serving, not supposed to be ruling over. So uh, when you start defining success that way, then it's 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 articulating you know a vision of conservatism that talks about opportunity, that talks about family, it talks about limited government, and putting the individuals. Um, in D.C. they're going to carry out and, and hold up to those standards and actually implement those types of uh, solutions versus where we've been the past couple of decades. A few moments ago, you had mentioned that uh, you didn't believe that the Republican nomination would be decided until June. Uh, during Thursday night's debate in Houston, there was a lot of rhetoric coming out from uh, Marco Rubio's campaign that uh, that he was sort of lobbying and preparing for a brokered convention. Do you see that as a possibility for the Republicans? A brokered convention is is a, a scenario that's that's out there. I, I think what's what you're going to hear the dynamics that I think we need to be aware of is that there's there's five individuals that are still in this race. You got Donald Trump that, again, he's winning these early primaries, but you've got four other individuals. I think after Tuesday, you're going to see one or two uh, that will probably drop off. And then you've got three, you've got Cruz, Rubio, and and, uh, and, and Donald Trump. I, after a while, there's going to be some hard decisions that are going to be Need to, be, need to be made by both the Cruz and the Rubio campaign. One of them eventually will will receive a lot of lot of force to, to drop out. So at some point, we're going to come down to two, Trump and it'll probably be either Cruz or Rubio. And so then is where did that happen? Where did we get down to two within that primary process? So if it's earlier enough, it won't be a brokered convention. Uh, if it's late in the process, then it will. So broker convention is a scenario, possible scenario that's out there. Now, I'm kind of curious. Um, I'm, I'm looking here at some of the polls, and it's obvious that Kasich and Carson will essentially drop out at some point. When they do drop out, who do you see either Cruz or Rubio uh, or Trump being the beneficiary um, of those voters? What I believe and what I see is that Cruz, for the most part, has captured his, you know, who he's going to capture. He'll, he'll gain some as individuals fall, fall out, even as Jeb Bush fell out, actually there were some gains that, that Trump made where you know you would look at Jeb as more of an establishment candidate. He, you know, you wouldn't think anybody would jump from Jeb to to Trump, but some of that did. But I think what you'll see is that Cruz and Rubio will gain the most as as uh, Kasich and as um, Ben Carson drop out. The big factor, right, is when the third when the third candidate drops, where do those votes go? Because that's a little less uncertain, right? Because remember, those three are more of your anti-establishment candidates. And you could see Trump pick up a bigger percentage that he might from, a, say, a Kasich or a, or, a, or a Carson. So those dynamics are really in, uh, interesting and I think really fluid. You know, I think when Trump announced his candidacy, I and mean, we've talked a little bit about him, it was something of a punchline. You know, people were speculating whether he was doing it for publicity or the attention, and it sort of snowballed into, you know, the, he's the front runner at this point, which has shocked a lot of people here. What can you sum up for me? What is the appeal that Trump has to these voters, and, and what are his realistic chances, and what does that mean for the country in the terms of political discourse? So, I think what what we need to do is when we look at at this. This this race this year, we need to look at some factors that are influencing this race that didn't uh, inflict didn't influence the elections from even two years ago, if not four years ago. And it's there's some similarities between the election back when Kennedy and Nixon ran, and we had the first um, uh, 
influence of TV in politics. So you had a situation where one of one of the Kennedy Nixon debates, people that listened to that debate on the radio thought that Nixon had won. Yet people that viewed it on TV thought Kennedy won. And they thought Kennedy won. Uh, a lot had to do with just his, you know, he was telegenic, he was at ease, Nixon didn't seem quite as easy, so he had that influence of TV on that on that election. Well, I think we have the same thing here. I think we, we have more of a, of a celebrity culture, if you will, now, as well as you have the advent of social media and the internet. So we need to keep in mind that those those area, those forces, if you will, are having a bigger impact on this election than, say, two, if not four years ago. And then you have that dynamic that I talked about earlier, that there's just a lot of frustration with, within the Republican Party and, and promises that haven't been fulfilled. So you have this really strong character in Donald Trump, this alpha male that some people have referred to him as. And he's just very attractive. I think what the Republican Party needs to recognize is that he also has a lot of high negatives because of comments that he's made and and those types of things. So I really don't see Trump as the Republican nominee. I think as, as Kasich and uh, as Carson drop out, uh, those those delegates will be, or those votes, if you will, those delegates will be passed on to um, you know either Rubio or Cruz. I think the big question is. You know who's going to be number two? It's either going to be Cruz or, or Rubio, and that, I think that's the big unknown, if you will. But I just don't see Donald Trump being the Republican uh, nominee for November. So, in your mind, what scenario exists for the GOP to win November's general election? You know what the GOP needs to do is we need to do a good job of selling conservatism, and there's there's a there's this tendency to actually run away from it, but conservatism especially in light of the last seven years, right, is a very strong position, right? Conservatism is about opportunity. It's about uh, limiting government. It's about our, our freedoms that are embodied in our Declaration of Independence and, and are supposed to be uphold, upheld by our Constitution. And so we need to really sell conservatism and, and the opportunity that exists around conservatism. But the other thing that's going to be incumbent upon the Republican party and the Republican nominee is we really need to hammer on the, the harm and the failures of liberalism. You've got Obamacare out there where millions of people have actually lost their insurance and their premiums have skyrocketed and, and there's actually rural hospitals that are in danger of shutting down because people aren't able to pay those high premiums. You've got $19 trillion of debt, which I've referred to, which really is going to be a burden on the next generation. A smaller and smaller percentage of the next generation's um, income is going to be able to go to their home to education and vacations and those kind of things. And it's going to go more towards the money that we're spending now. We need to, conservatives and Republicans need to point out to just these big failures of, of, uh, of the federal government, whether it's all the money that's been invested in education with, you know, no real results, um, our welfare state and how more and more people are dependent on the on the well on the uh, welfare state versus you know being their their own um, individual that's you know upholding their opportunities and pursuing opportunities. I talked about the VA hotline and and the pollution that the actual EPA has, has caused. So the Republican Party needs to you know focus on conservatism and how it works and really hammer on the failures of liberalism and really the harm that. It's uh, perpetrated on on uh, citizens over the past several decades. Again, we have Texas Rep 
Matt Shaheen joining us. He represents West Plano in North Dallas and the Texas House. Representative, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Weekly Brew podcast. And for those that might be interested in following you on social media or kind of knowing more about your platforms, where can they find you? Well, there's multiple uh, areas. They can go to my website, mattshaheen.com, and they can follow me on uh, Facebook and Twitter with the same name, Matt Shaheen. Go ahead and follow him on social media platforms and check out his website. Representative, we appreciate the time and uh, best of luck uh, heading into Super Tuesday and everything that's going on with the uh, the GOP. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, love being with you today. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew to discuss Decision 2016 and Super Tuesday is Lane Lewis, Harris County Democratic Party Chair. Lane, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Hey, well, we appreciate it. And now for those that aren't familiar with your work, you have quite the fascinating background that ranges from social work to teaching. How did you end up in politics? Uh, My first political speech I gave when I was about, I think, 18 or 19 years old. Um, there was a city ordinance in the works that would make it um, illegal for anyone under the age of 21 to enter a bar or nightclub that sold alcohol. In other words, it would do away with the wristbands, in other words. And um, there was a guy named Bruce Godwin who at that time, back in 1987, uh, 88, something around in there, He owned the record rack, and he owned Numbers Nightclub. And uh, I was DJing at the time, so I was a regular at both of those establishments. And uh, he set up a bunch of us to go down to City Hall and speak against this. And uh, I was one of the very first people to sign up. I think I was about the third or fourth person to sign up to speak. And I signed up for my three minutes, and I went down there and popped off. We had so many people there that after a couple of hours, uh, then-Councilman Dale Gorzinski withdrew his his ordinance, and it never passed. So for all of your listeners out there that went into a bar at 20 years old, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so from there, I kind of got very uh, involved. particularly with human rights, civil rights, uh, LGBT rights. Uh, At that time, if you'll recall, uh, HIV-AIDS was on the upswing, and there was very little funding or assistance for people that were infected and affected by that that disease. So I got very involved in in that, Uh, and I carved out a space for myself where I was uh, just – uh, activist enough that I appealed to that bunch, and I was just conservative enough to actually go into boardrooms and actually get stuff done. So I was sort of the mediator between those two groups. <laughs> you speak to kind of the um, the idea of mediation, the idea of uh, you know extremes or whatever. Harris County and, and Houston, very diverse population. You know, one of the uh, most diverse cities in America. And so I'm curious, just from your perspective, what um what is sort of the character or nature of Harris County? What are the issues that are impacting Harris County the most with this diverse, wide range of people? Well, Houston is not only, or Harris County is not only the most diverse city in the nation statistically. We are also the most economically um, dispersed city in the nation, uh, statistically. Uh, in other words, our folks 
the, the, the difference between the haves and the haves not is exacerbated here in Houston city limits. So certainly economic job creation, um, wealth disparity is top of mind for most voters. Uh, and it, that transcends ethnicity. Uh, when you talk to Hispanic voters, you know, a lot of people say, well, what, what are we doing to engage the Hispanic voter? Well, the majority of topics that people talk about when it comes to Hispanic voters are immigration. But when you poll Latino voters, uh, that barely registers in the top five. Hmm. Uh, number one, when you're talking to Hispanics, it's almost always nationwide, and certainly here in Harris County in Houston, the first thing they talk about is the economy, jobs, education, health care. Then you get down to immigration concerns. And so when people are trying to engage uh, voters, they need to keep that in mind. Speaking of the issues that are important to voters, sort of taking this out to uh, the national scene and what's going on in the Democratic primary, what is your impression so far um, of the, the race between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton? Uh, we have some big primaries coming up here on Tuesday. Well, the uh, CNN put out a tweet this morning that I retweeted. It said, uh, who, who do you think was the winner at last night's Republican debate? And I retweeted, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders were the two, <laughs> were the two winners at last night's debate. Uh, wow. Um, one of the things that we're seeing nationally, as well here in Harris County, is a slightly lower than usual turnout in the Democratic primary. Now, why is that? Well, I don't know, but I can speculate. We have two really good candidates to choose from. And so what happens with Democrats is you often see that they wait to the last minute to decide, or they can't decide, they figure both are just as good, and so they just sit it out and support whoever wins. On the Republican side, however, they're spending significantly more money. Um, the, the, the race is highly contested, and you, know, you have people that you know, pick their crazy, and um, that's their guy, period. And uh, so you're seeing slightly higher turnout and participation in those caucuses than they are in ours. <clears throat> um, when one of the responsibilities that I have when running the primary for the party is I have to guesstimate how many polling locations we need in order to efficiently and effectively move people um, that show up to vote on election day through the line. If you have too, too few, you end up with two-hour lines. If you have too many, you end up wasting a lot of money um, because you have too many polling locations open. Well, there are two anomalies that I have not been able to get my mind around, so I just had to guess the best that I could with as much input as I could get, <clears throat> and that is this. Uh, there's a formula that can fairly accurately predict how many people are going to turn out all things being equal. But this particular year, you have two anomalies that I'm not sure how to factor in. One, Republican women or independent women that don't traditionally vote in a primary that are going to come over and vote for Hillary, uh, one, because she's you know, capable, but two, because they really want to vote for a female presidential candidate. And I'm not sure how many of those people they're going to be. The second anomaly that I'm not sure how to calculate is <clears throat> the youth vote for Bernie Sanders. 
individuals that are in college voting for the first time that are very energized by Bernie Sanders' message. Not only that, you also have to factor in young people that are from out of town or out of state attending college here in Harris County that change their voter registration to here um, that don't traditionally vote here. So they're going to be new on the rolls. And uh, so I just had to do the best I could to make the best educated guess I can. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about, and you mentioned specifically a few minutes ago that the, the GOP, it's, it's essentially picking your crazy. And on Thursday night at the debate at the U of H, I mean, I, I, I'm just to clear the record, I'm a registered Republican, and I, I, I posted on my Facebook account that this is a nightmare and that the, the GOP right now is a dumpster fire. I'm kind of curious with, you know, the type of candidates that you have and the discontent that you have in the Republican Party right now, how does that benefit the Democrats heading into November election with an established candidate such as Hillary Clinton? According to a national, the the, the pollsters that I've talked to on a national level, in fact, I had a conversation with a couple of them just yesterday, um, they strongly believe the only Republican candidate that has a shot at beating uh, Hillary Clinton, for example, it's Marco Rubio, uh, which I don't think bodes very well for the Republican Party. But um, I don't think anybody should discount Donald Trump. Don- here's, the, here's the issue with Donald Trump. Donald Trump plays by his own rules, and he plays those rules in a way that if you get in the ring, you have to play his rules too. Um, and it makes it very difficult um, because you, know, you want to be the presidential candidate and uh and play within that sandbox and uh he's in his own sandbox and it's very hard to contain that um you know and somebody i was at a meeting the other night and one of my judicial candidates um was really putting pressure on us in regards to carving out the 2016 campaign saying that we really need to go after the republican party and we really need to uh to to you know, illustrate their weaknesses and their philosophies. And my comment to them was, what could we possibly say about the Republican Party that Donald Trump isn't saying already? And it doesn't (laughs) seem to have an impact. I mean, the crazier he gets, the more votes he gets. I mean, what could we possibly put on a mailer that's going to, you know, say anything different than CNN is already saying? It it makes no sense. In my view, when uh, an election... Overall, when the overall message, when the overall tone and tenor of an election cycle is about hope, change, and progress, Democrats win. Uh, When it's about uh, anger, frustration, uh, and revenge, uh, Republicans win. Um, That's just those are the two things that seem to resonate most with our voters. When Democratic candidates go overly negative, uh, I don't think it bodes well for them traditionally. You mentioned that Trump kind of uh, is in his own sandbox, and and I'm curious, how did we as a country, as a voting populace, sort of create this monster? I mean, what what is it about us in the state of political discourse that has allowed someone like him to come to the forefront almost inexplicably and sort of surprising a lot of figures, I think? What does that say about us as a country? Well, I think first and foremost, the Republican Party has got to take ownership that they've created this monster. They've allowed um, this sort of mentality to, to foster and fester. And I'll give you an example. When 
McCain was running for president. And if you'll remember, the woman stood up at the town hall and called, I think she called uh, then-Senator Barack Obama a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist or something. And McCain said, you know, I know Barack Obama. He's a fine man. He's a noble, you know. And she called, he went down in the polls. Why? (laughs) Because he was trying to, you know, calm crazy. And uh, they've allowed, in order to win short-term goals, um, this sort of lunacy to um, foster and fester within their own party. And they've lost control. I'm telling you, I know a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but I know several um, really fine Republican statesmen and stateswomen who want the government to work. They want it to work for the betterment of the nation and its people, but they are completely sidelined um, by the voices of Ted Cruz and, uh, you know, um, Ron Paul and, you know, these types. And uh, it frustrates them because if they don't do pandering to their right, they get primaried and they lose elections. What was the guy's name that was speaker that was next in line to be speaker of the house? That one of the most conservative people in the entire country, right. and he lost his primary. What was his name? I can't remember, but I mean, he was he was extremely powerful, and um, and everyone was just stunned. See, we can't even remember his name now, and he was in the news every <laughs> single day for years, and now we can't even remember Eric his name. Cantor. That's who it was. Yeah, you go. Oh, there we go. Lost yeah. his primary because he wasn't crazy enough. It just—it's it, sad and it's disappointing. Gone are the days. Hopefully, we'll find our way back um, to the middle, where you know you can have good discourse. You know, there was a day in Washington where you know the Republicans, Democrats went into the Congress and fought like cats and dogs all day, and then they all went out to steak dinners with each other that night. Uh, well, now they won't even be caught in the same restaurant with each other. Hmm. Um, and that's disappointing. Thinking about candidates that are sort of um, outside the mainstream and Bernie Sanders, um, give me your overall impression of his campaign. And then I guess a sort of a segue to that. Do you think at this point in the nomination process that he still has a chance to uh, beat Hillary Clinton? Well, traditional thinking would say uh, he's going to have to overcome those superdelegates. Uh, what a superdelegate is, in case your listeners don't know, is delegates to the National Convention are elected through a uh, Senate and state caucus uh, convention method. Uh, And they're elected by locals and they get run up the chain and they eventually go on to the national and they get to vote for who they want. But there's this other thing unofficially called superdelegates. Technically they're just delegates, but people call them superdelegates. And that is certain elective officials, meaning um, uh, senators and congressmen, Uh, from that state that are automatically made delegates to the convention. Well, they pick who they want to support. So I may be a United States congressman where all the delegates in um, my uh, district prefer one candidate, but when we get up there, I vote for the other candidate. So it kind of gives an edge. Well, right now, the majority of superdelegates in the state of Texas are either supportive of Hillary or they're non-committed. Uh, most of them are supporting Hillary. 
well, that's a whole bucket of votes at the national convention uh, that, that Bernie will go into um, with a deficit. But I say traditional thinking because there has been one young man uh, that was in a very similar predicament in 2008, and we now call him president <laughs> when he was running against Hillary. So it can be done. <clears throat> the, the, but the interesting part about it is, as far as who can win an election, when um, Hillary was here in last fall, last spring, I'm sorry, last spring, she came here, um, and we had about 2,500 people um, there to hear her. The overwhelming majority of them were party um, affiliates, precinct chairs, elected Democratic officials, and some Republican elected officials, I might add. But it was basically the party infrastructure that was there to support her. Uh, I could name or recognize pretty much everybody in the room. A couple of months later, we had Bernie Sanders here over at U of H, and he had 5,200 people there. And I can only name maybe a few hundred of them. <laughs> so there's this difference. That, so when they, they say establishment versus non-establishment, that's a real clear picture of what that is. So then it becomes the issue of, okay, if you extrapolate that out as to who's likely to win the nomination, well, I think it's pretty clear, favors Hillary Clinton. But if you extrapolate that out as to who can motivate voters to come out to hear a speech and or subsequently vote, um, seems to be burning. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it all shakes out, not only on Super Tuesday, but heading into the general election in November. And uh, Lane, we definitely appreciate you joining us on the podcast this week. And uh, we know that you're active on social media, I mean, uh, especially on Twitter. Uh, For those that might not follow you already, can you uh, go ahead and inform the listeners how they can find you on social media? Sure. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. I have a uh, politician page, Lane Lewis, L-A-N-E-L-E-W-I-S. And then my Twitter handle is at Lane Lewis. Very simple to remember. Lane, we definitely appreciate you uh, joining us today. It was great. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. We just had a great discussion on the political landscape in the U.S. leading up to Super Tuesday, but now it's time to get back to our roots and discuss one of our other passions, sports. To do that, we're excited to welcome on our next guest, Dolores Lozano from ESPN Deportes. Coincidentally, Dolores is also a fellow Baylor grad. Dolores, thanks for joining us this week. Yes, Sikkim Bears. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, well, definitely glad to have you on. And I guess for those that aren't familiar with you, can you just kind of explain your path to, uh, you know, from college to getting and to starting work at ESPN Deportes? So I went to Baylor, class of 2014. Um, I was a communication science major. I was practicing speech therapy for about two years and kind of got connected to David Gao. And he connected me to ESPN Deportes, and right now I'm doing sales, marketing, and reporting, and I absolutely love it. And it's great to uh, pursue my passion and dreams here in the city of Houston. So I guess in terms of reporting, I mean, there's a lot going on on the, the Houston sports landscape. I mean, you've got uh, spring training approaching right now for the Astros, uh, you know, NFL draft with the Texans, Rockets kind of in a slump. What is it like for you to cover the sports scene here in Houston on a day-to-day basis? It's really fun, uh, especially kind of covering the Rockets because the Rockets are in a sinking season. But I'm hoping that Harden and Howard can uh, save the season from falling apart and hopefully bring out a win tonight against the Spurs. 
The Rockets have been a problem. They've been one of my favorite topics of conversation. We don't get enough NBA talk over here. So one thing we talked about last week in the podcast was the trade falling apart, you know, with the with the first round pick coming back from Modi Yudis and Marcus Thornton. Thornton's since been cut. This team does seem to be kind of in a downward spiral. What do you make of the rumors that we've seen from uh, outlets like Bleacher Report citing that Howard and Harden don't get along? They tried to get each other traded. There's tension in the locker room. I mean, do you see any of that surrounding this team? I mean, I did see a little tension in the locker room before, but, I mean, people are going to talk. I think that James Harden and Dwight Howard's relationship is complex, but um, I think it's more of a perception. It's not as worse as people – it's not as bad as people may think it is, and I think they do have – their heads on straight, and um, hopefully they can turn the season around. And okay, so Chloe Kardashian, I guess, was James Harden's uh, whatever she was girlfriend. Have you seen the clip? Yeah, there was something weird about that relationship. I mean, a lot of people talk about it. Do you think that there's any truth to the idea that could have had an impact on the way he's played this season and uh, and had some sort of effect on the team? I think it did have a uh, effect on the team just due to publicity. But I also think that their whole relationship was basically a publicity stunt. I think James used Chloe to kind of boost himself and become more popular but i do think it really did have a huge impact on the rocket this past week you sent out a tweet that uh, it it pointed to a news story discussing roger goodell and the inconsistency of you know how he's been punishing nfl players specifically with the way that he's handled josh gordon and for those that aren't familiar josh gordon a former baylor wide receiver uh, had a breakout year just a few years ago with the cleveland browns but missed most of the last two years due to a drug suspension I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are in terms of how Mr. Goodell, who's being paid nearly $34 million a year, is handling these cases on such an inconsistent basis. Yeah, Roger Goodell has no standards. There's no consistency. Um, Josh Gordon didn't kill anyone. He didn't be his girlfriend. He was simply a 22-year-old smoking weed. And weed is practically it's on in, in its process to be legal now. And I'm, I question, is it okay for someone like Greg Hardy to only be suspended for four games, I believe, after his incident? It's just, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And then you have other players, um, like Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, their punishments don't even match up to Josh Gordon. Just sort of going back to your uh, origins and how you got into all this, how did you personally get into sports? Did you play a lot of sports growing up, or has this always been something you've been interested in? Um, yes, I played sports growing up. I played basketball, and I ran track, and I actually ran track at Baylor my freshman year. And I've always been super interested in sports. All my friends, I was in the athlete group, so all my friends are athletes. And I just basically love sports, love Houston sports, love the Texans, love the Astros, and love the Rockets, even though we're having a disappointing season, but I still believe in their pursuit. Being a Houston sports fan in general is tough, so uh, I I have to give it to anyone who's tasked with reporting on Houston's teams. Kind of uh, speaking on Baylor, I mean, you've got six guys right now at the NFL Combine this past week, and uh, a lot of a lot of NFL projections are showing that uh, you might have two, possibly three first-round picks. From the time that you started at Baylor, I mean, I know that you didn't go through the pain that we did with Guy Morris. I'm kind of curious, how have you seen just the the perception of Baylor change within the past, you know, four to five years on a not only local level, but on a national level? Baylor has grown a lot over the past six years, I believe. It's my freshman 2010. So after 
uh, Robert Griffin won the Heisman after Josh Gordon's season. Then you have Terrence Williams. I think more people are starting to believe in the Baylor program. We're not the underdogs anymore. I'm. Sometimes we might not be treated like we are ahead in the Big, big 12, but I do see um, a rise, and I'm, I notice that our Browse is developing a great program. We have a lot of great wide receivers, Corey Coleman's in the NFL draft, uh, combine right now. So I'm excited to see how well um, – we're going to do this year. Dolores, uh, obviously, is Kevin. We met uh, the first time when we were at the Peach Bowl there. So I was curious, how, how often do you get to cover U of H, and what has been your impression of watching their uh, meteoric rise this season under Coach Herman? Because that's a topic we, we get into here a lot. And you were there for that victory over Florida State, and I was wondering what kind of impression that made on you and what you think the future's like for Houston. I am really excited about Houston's future since I'm in the city of Houston. Tom Herman is doing very well with U of H. I know they have a really good schedule coming up. They play OU this year. Um, and I think their program is on the rise. They, they're pr- pretty much like Baylor. They're the underdog, and I think they're going to take over their conference uh, in 2016. You gave a very passionate answer for U of H. I, I mean, <laughs> are, are you more of a U of H fan now than Baylor? Oh, well, no. I, could, I would never let my Bears down. But just well, being at the Peach Bowl – uh, it was like an unexplainable experience watching them win, win um, well, basically beat Florida State by, forgot the score, uh, but they beat them by a significant yeah. amount. And just, I mean, I've been to U of H football games and I've never seen so much excitement and so much school spirit. So it's really awesome to see that in my hometown. Oh, Dolores, I'm right there with you. As much as I love to antagonize Kevin, uh, I mean, I was super excited when U of H took out Florida State. I mean, it's a huge thing for the city. I mean, if you're from Houston and you, you grew up here, um, you always want to see U of H do well, even if it's the, at the expense of a team that you might otherwise like. So um, now you, you do work for ESPN Deportes. Can you tell us a little bit about what they do? We cover pretty much all sports and we're really focused in the city of Houston. We work a lot with the Astros. The University of Houston, um, and it's pretty cool to go to all these games, meet the players, and kind of get more insight. When you go to these games, if you can kind of take me through what happens on game days. I mean, what specific roles do you have? Are you going there to cover the games, find those, uh, you know, those enterprise stories, uh, the unique stories about certain players, or just take me through that process? What's exciting about the Rockets games is going in hours before you get to meet people like Calvin Murphy, who's hilarious. <laughs> and um, I basically kind of watch uh, pre-game, pre-game interviews, post-game interviews, and that's for the Rockets. And I've covered the Texans once for the playoff game, which was very unfortunate. But it was a great experience, and I enjoy uh, connecting with the players and networking with other broadcasters and reporters. Dolores, one of the things that you uh, tweeted earlier today, uh, you were seeking out uh, female professionals to speak at the KIPP Ladies Conference on May 6th, which is coming up, and kind of gearing uh, up towards uh, International Women's Day on Tuesday, March 8th. Can you kind of just discuss a little bit about KIPP and uh, this conference that you're working on? I am a part of the KIPP Pals organization. It is a young professionals organization, and we put together networking events. We do fundraisers for KIPP. And for those who don't know about KIPP, they help under, underserved students 
around the city of Houston and also nationwide. And on May 20th, we're having a Young Ladies Leadership Conference. Right now we're seeking volunteers who want to host workshops. And we're basically trying to build um, the young ladies at Kip Voyage. We're trying to, to build their self-esteem, establish and maintain a healthy sisterhood, and help their transition to adolescence. There's not a lot of role models out there, so we're trying to provide a great leadership uh, for these girls. What are the issues facing these girls that, that I guess you're trying to solve or attempt to um, kind of overcome? What, what, is the, what is the primary problem facing girls that are looking to come up in the world right now? Most of the girls that attend these schools, they're um, escaping poverty and everything that's going around in their environment. We just kind of want to prepare them for college, just basically give them the skills that they need and kind of be their motivators. Yeah, it seems like a, a great organization. And uh, for those that want to kind of learn more about it and get in contact with you on how they can best help out for this event, uh, what's the best place to reach you? You can find information at kiphouston.org. And you can email me at Lozano at gmail.com. Very cool. So make sure to check that out. They're doing a lot of great work here in the Houston area. And Dolores, uh, we've definitely enjoyed having you on the podcast. And we thank you for uh, taking the time out of your weekend to join us. And uh, again, you cover everything Houston. You cover Baylor. You cover U of H. Cover the Rockets. Even the Dynamo. For those that are interested in following you on social media, how can they find you? You can find me at Dolores and with two N's and three underscores. Perfect. So definitely go follow her on Twitter. She she puts out some great stuff. And uh, Dolores, we definitely appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Hopefully I'll talk to you guys again soon or see you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Around the city of Houston at all these great events that we have. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on the podcast is Alex Dugan from the Austin-based band, The Vanity. Now, if you're not familiar with their work, check them out on iTunes and Spotify, especially their track, Stay, which I've been listening to all week. Alex, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Hey, not bad. We're definitely looking to your forward to your show at the Raven Tower on March 5th. Uh, I guess for those that aren't familiar with your sound, uh, tell us what they can expect at the show on March 5th at the Raven Tower. It's, it's really, we're, we're a rock and roll band first, um, but it's, I, I guess I would say that we're you know, high energy and... Uh, you know, more more alternative leaning and, and stuff like that. I mean, we're really just kind of uh, a big ball of energy, honestly. Uh, and uh, we're definitely going to be sweating everywhere, but it's going to be a good show. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that haven't checked out Raven Tower, it's a brand new, uh, I guess, a live music venue here in Houston. A very cool design. It's got a great, uh, you know, sight lines looking into downtown. It's uh, north uh, toward the heights, so definitely recommend checking them out on March 5th. But as we speak right now, uh, it, I guess you had just finished a recording session today. How did that go? And, you know, kind of take us through that process of what a recording session looks like for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what we're doing in a certain day. Uh, like today, we're, you know, we're doing recording. We're working on new music. Sometimes we we write new music as a band, like in a confined space, like in a practice studio. And sometimes we, we get together and we do more electronic-based stuff that you really can't do when you are, you know, without a computer, basically. So, so we have all sorts of different stuff that we uh, that we try out and explore. But uh, you know, a typical day where you know we're just depending on what we're doing, we're, we're usually just trying to find sounds and, and capture that that one thing, and then just keep building on it. And hopefully, you don't 
lose concentration or lose momentum or, or anything like that, you know. Now, Alex, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't know about the vanity before uh, before you, but I've been listening to some of your music over this weekend, and I'm, I'm really digging it. I'm a big alternative fan. Um, your music seems to have a lot of edge and depth to it. Uh, where would you say the inspiration for um, your music comes from? Oh, man, I mean, it comes from all over the place, honestly, because we're, we're just all into different things. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of special about, about the band in general, about these guys and, and everybody. You know, we just, we're all into different stuff and, like, widely different stuff. And that, you know, when we get together and we start making music, you know, once we get to a song or, or whatever, you know, or, or a sound that we can all agree on, it's usually something totally different you know that that we just kind of like all challenge each other and work together and come up with these you know interesting stuff so i I think really you know we really influence each other but i mean you know i i listen to all sorts of stuff you know when when i before i met the guys i wanted to you know be in the rolling stones or something now (laughs) i'm probably way far away from that and you know we, we also have our little pop crushes too it's just you know like Charlie XCX and stuff like that. I mean, it just depends on on what the day is. Really, we we'll listen to all sorts of stuff. And I mean, like I grew up in Houston, so I grew up grew up going to the rodeo and stuff like that. But I by no means listen to country at all. But you know, we just we just enjoy like everything, you know. And I think that kind of helps us put piece together different kinds of stuff. But I don't know, like lately, like I I I bounce from thing to thing. Lately, I've been listening to like a lot of Depeche Mode and New Order. And, uh, there's like the new 1975 track and. Um, man, all sorts of. Shit. I mean, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. Uh, <laughs> Kings of Leon, Stroke, stuff like that. You too. Well, it's interesting you say you, uh, you're a Houston, you know, native, and uh, and the band is definitely an Austin band. But you get a lot of love here in Houston, from whether it's Free Press Houston, HoustonPress.com. Like these guys love you. It seems like you resonate really well. Would you say that you guys do have a following here in Houston? And what is it that makes uh, you guys resonate so well with the Houston natives? Well, I don't know exactly what it is, but. You know, yeah, I've I've always felt like I mean, Houston's my hometown, so it always feels like a hometown thing for me. And it may not, be, it probably doesn't for the other guys, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, frankly, it's, it's a diverse city. Uh, it's like I think pretty sure it's the most diverse city in the United States, or something next to a couple others. Uh, you know, and and so there's a lot of diversity, a lot of different tastes, and a lot of uh, you know, it's 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 a city that that likes like city music. I, I don't know how else to say that, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've had a lot of success in Houston and, you know, um, I, I, I really enjoy it. And actually, you know, we, we've done a lot of like festival dates the past year. Like we were doing Summerfest, and we were doing day for night, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, and we did a couple opening gigs and stuff like that. Opened up for other people. We were opening up for the Cold War kids, stuff like that, you know? Um, and this is actually, I realized that this is this, show coming up and Raven Tower is our first headlining show since November 2014 which I don't I don't even know how that happened but I think we just kept accepting like festivals and opening gigs and they're like wait we never like got to do our own show so now <laughs> so now I get to like invite all my friends and stuff you know it's, it's a little different on the same side I mean even though you've you've kind of been opening up for other people and you know doing festivals I mean you guys have played uh you know some great venues played with some great bands uh day for night festival here in pa- this past December was a great sh- great festival of course free press summer fest back in June I mean what is it like from you to be able to go on those festivals just you know expose people that you know might not be there for you know that that rock sound that could be there for you know one of the different bands or different genres and to you know maybe play for them and kind of get your name out there you know providing something that you know is a little bit new to those people i mean with with free press it, it wasn't so out of the box because we were we actually we were on the main stage and we were sharing it with like gary clark and 
band of horses and all sorts of people that could easily, you know, fit in to what we were doing. Um, you know, but for day for night, I mean, we were one of like the few rock bands that were even at the festival, let alone on the stage, you know, so it was totally different, but it was just interesting to like, you know, play and like, you have your, your starting crowd of people that are like, that came to see you and then you can see like people kind of filter and like, that's always interesting to me is to see like how people respond and stuff like that, you know, even when we're opening for people and it's just, you know, like it's not a festival and people aren't wandering and they're all just stuck in a space. It's just interesting to like watch like, like a social experiment and just watch how people react, you know, it's, it's always interesting and cool, but yeah, I mean, we, we've been lucky to do all those things, but day for night was definitely like the most interesting one because we were just like one of the few rock and roll bands. So it was, uh, it, it worked out, it ended up working out really well, which is I guess why they had us, but you know, it was just so like interesting and cool, you know. So that, so was that entire festival. So, yeah. Again, we have Alex Dugan from the Austin-based band The Vanity, and Alex. Again, you guys have a show coming up here in Houston at the Raven Tower on March fifth. Uh, for those that are interested in getting tickets or coming out to the show, uh, where can they find that information? And also, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can pretty much find everything on our website. It's just thevanity.com. Uh, the tickets, there's a ticket link on there, but if you go through the Raven Tower website or Subwire or whatever. Uh, our social is all on there, but I'll say it anyway. So our Twitter is just at the vanity and our Instagram's a little goofy. It's at underscore the vanity. Um, but yeah, it's us too. We definitely appreciate you taking the time out and joining us. And, uh, we're looking forward to your show here on March 5th. And also you guys will be back in just a few weeks after that playing at the house of blues. So a lot of love for your use in hometown. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> all right. Well, Alex, we appreciate you joining us and, uh, best of luck this week at the, uh, the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Closing time. I don't know about you guys, but it seems that each week on the podcast, we produce quality content. We have great interviews. And, you know, I'm a little bit biased in believing that. But uh, today, I thought that was no exception. Uh, we again thank Representative Shaheen and Elaine Lewis from Harris County Democratic Chairman uh, for joining us on the podcast today. I thought they provided great insight to Super Tuesday. And I hope that all of our listeners go out and vote. If you live in Texas, go out and vote on Tuesday. If you live outside of the state, uh, make sure to register and go vote. Um, it, in your state's primary. We want to thank Dolores Lozano from ESPN Deportes for joining us on the podcast. I thought she did a great job discussing, uh, you know, local sports scene here in Houston and even offered some insights uh, with Baylor and what's going on at that university. But guys, what did you think about this week's episode? I was surprised by how uh, articulate, interesting, non-divisive our guests were. I appreciate both uh, Lane Lewis and Matt Shane coming on. Uh, I think that they both spoke to the issues well and, and we didn't really get uh, sidetracked by a lot of bickering and partisanship. So that was, uh, that was really encouraging for for me. The fact that we're able to have kind of a moderate discussion like that about the issues, about what's facing this country, this state, this county, whatever, um, without sort of getting bogged down in a lot of, uh, you know, hatred or, or bickering. Uh, again, I'd just like to reiterate that we are really doing a bang up job. So uh, a lot better than people on Fox uh, are able to do, for instance. <laughs> Jeremy, what about you? What did you think? Yeah, I, I loved I loved the interviews. Of course, you know, politics is sort of my forte. I, I or I just sleep like it's a hobby. It is. Um, but I really appreciate Matt Shaheen and Lane Lewis coming on to talk about this stuff. Um, I thought that they were both very eloquent and to the point about their piece. Um, really enjoyed uh, hearing another perspective from Lane. Um, and actually, I'd, I'd love to have those guys on again. Um, of course, it's always great podcasting here with you guys. And during this election season, I honestly would rather uh, not be doing anything else. And as always, it's that time of the show. Kevin, it seems like you had quite the happy week by reading our iTunes reviews. You want to let the listeners know why? 
Yeah, well, we had two new reviews. So again, a great week for me. Those reviews, very important. They determine uh, how legitimately we look to people that are searching for us. They determine whether we show up in search results. Uh, the reviews are, and this is according to iTunes Zone Literature, extremely important. So as we try to grow, as we try to become a better show, as we try to get in more people's feeds and inboxes, it's very important that you leave us these reviews. And so far, uh, a lot of our listeners have. And as I mentioned before, those are by far my favorite listeners. You guys are really doing uh, a great job. We had two reviews this week, um, one by Say No to Emo. And I feel like... Uh, uh, very early, it's given away who this person actually is. So I usually don't know who these reviews are from. This one, I kind of do. As a co-host, this review might seem a little late. Yeah, Jeremy, a little bit late. Um, but it's only because I can now say unequivocally and objectively, this is one of the best podcasts ever. You know what? It's yours. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to slam you for taking so long to get it up. But we do appreciate it, Jeremy. Um, we've had, what, 35 listeners do that before you did. But uh, thanks for getting on the bandwagon a little bit late there. But a real review from Deves13. Tipsy off the brew. I like creative titles. It's always good to read those. As far as podcasts go, this one is very well done. I agree. I love the guests, banter, and variety of subjects they cover. And we appreciate that feedback because, you know, it is kind of different covering all these different things that we do. So we love to hear people that love all the things we cover. Uh, this show has quickly become a part of my weekly routine. I also love the additions to my waistline courtesy of we desserts nailed it way to give a shout out to our sponsor reviewer uh, as for the host i don't think i have a favorite yet fail it should be me but i will say kevin is often wrong tragically so though never boring i am famously wrong in everything i've ever predicted on this show so don't bet on the things that i tell you to do but anyway great job by uh, one of our listeners uh, my new favorite listener of the week and a decent job getting it in way past the deadline there jeremy thanks buddy we thank everyone for going to itunes and leaving this review and we encourage you to do so if you have not already uh, just go there click five stars tell us what you like and you know give us feedback tell us you know any subject lines that you want us to talk about uh, and if itunes isn't enough for you you can also find our content on weeklybrewcast.com and you can of course find us on social media just search weekly brewcast on facebook twitter and instagram guys we had a great show this week i definitely enjoyed it again thanks to representative matt shaheen from plano and uh north dallas also thanks to lane lewis who is the chairman for the harris county democratic party thanks to dolores lozano from espn deportes for joining us on the show but as always i enjoyed it i hope you guys did too for my co-hosts kevin cook and jeremy paxton i'm austin staten we'll see you next week still not feeling the burn and brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 